Hey, super friends, my name is Neil, and welcome to episode 59 of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We're here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of film, TV, and comic book goodness from our studio direct to your speakers. I am, of course, joined by my very own boy wonder, Martin. Say hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. How is Martin today? He's alright. Very good. What have you been up to? Nothing. Anything exciting to tell us? No. Okay. So we've been away for four weeks rather than three weeks, which was not the plan, but scheduling-wise, we just it took us forever to get you to see Suicide Squad. But you have now finally seen it, so we can have a proper conversation about it. But some exciting news in the meantime, for those who have been following the saga of the whiteboard, it is now up on the back of the door, meaning that neither of us can see it right now, so we'll just have to wing it. Any idea what we're talking about this week? Well, I always wing it, so I mean, it's just another day for me. Oh, well, it was a question. Yes. I don't, I don't know. Suicide right. Squad? <laughs> so this week in the news, we're going to talk a little bit about Leslie Grace's casting as Batgirl. We're going to cover off some Doctor Who news, and there's a story on a new Harley Quinn comic book. And then for reviews, we're going to be talking, uh, both of us together, about The Suicide Squad and Jungle Cruise. And I'm going to quickly talk to you about part three of Netflix's Transformers War for Cybertron. So without further ado, no hanging around. Let's kick off with the news. So just last week we heard that Warner Brothers had a short list of actors that they were screen testing for the lead role of Barbara Gordon in the uh, HBO Max production of Batgirl. The short list at the time included names such as Isabella Merkhead, Zoe Dutch and Hayley Lee Richardson, but it seemed that there was a front runner within the studio because just a couple of days after we got that news we found out that In the Heights actor Leslie Grace had landed the role of Batgirl. The script for Batgirl is being written by Christina Hodson, who wrote Birds of Prey and the current version of The Flash, which is now in production, with Kristen Burr producing, and it will be directed by Miss Marvel directors Adil El Arbi and Bilal Falah. So we have a Batgirl. We have a Latina Batgirl in Leslie Grace. And now we also have the news that uh, J.K. Simmons is in final talks to sign on to return as Jim Gordon, which could connect this film to Justice League and the wider universe. So what do we think of this piece of news? It's very exciting. You weren't sure what I was talking about for a second there. Well, we had a long pause where the cat had a poop. <laughs> we're talking about Leslie Grace as Batgirl. Oh yes, yes, very good. Any thoughts on what you would like to see happen in this film? What storyline you'd like it to follow? It seems like it may follow a year one because they're casting for characters that sound like kind of your uh, killer moths and firefly types. I don't read a lot of Batgirl comics, so I'm not sure if she's got her own villain. The most heavily tied to her are ones like Killer Moth, just because they're there in the Year One storyline. Um, other than that, there's maybe it's the usual Batman, Gotham, Rogues gallery. Hmm, exciting. Maybe not the Joker to start with. <laughs> Let's not go there too soon, too soon in her career. It's a bit heavy. With J.K. Simmons potentially showing up as Jim Gordon, though, does this mean that it could be in a world where Dick Grayson's dead? Zack Snyder's always said that that Robin costume in the Batcave for the dead Robin is Dick Grayson. So if J.K. Simmons is Commissioner Gordon and her Batgirl is in the universe of Ben Affleck's Batman, might there be a world where there is no Dick Grayson? Uh, No, because we're about to have a flashpoint, aren't we? So... It would be. It just feels wrong to me to have no Dick Grayson, so I would kind of hope they would write over that. Well, you've got to have a bit of 
dick if you've got Barbara. I mean, they're a good you just couple. Wanted to say that on purpose, didn't you? No, I didn't. That was a purely an accident. I have lots of thoughts dick. on what costume uh, inspiration I'd like them to use for for Batgirl. The purple I, one. The, well, not like Yvonne Craig's purple one with the glitter, but certainly the the purple Burnside costume would be quite cool to go with that version. That was a very successful era of Batgirl comics, so I kind of hope they use that as some sort of inspiration. The most recent version. Well, actually, they're going back to a purple costume in Nightwing comics quite soon as well. But the most recent version of her in the comics, uh, which is the version that they made the DC Multiverse action figure out of, which if you look to your left, you will see on the shelf next to Nightwing. It's quite a cool costume as well. Mm. I'm always of the mind that either it either has to be purple and yellow or grey and yellow with a bit of blue in the cape, because those are her classic kind of colour sets. I do like the purple. Hmm. Yes, very cool. But very excited for Leslie Grace. Welcome to the Bat family. Cannot wait to see what happens with that. It's looking like it's going to go into production in uh, October, November of this year. So I would imagine, hopefully, maybe releasing on HBO Max next year in the US. We won't have any details on where we'll be able to see it here in the UK until closer to the time. So keep your ear to the ground and we will keep you informed as to what is happening with Batgirl. Do you think they'll tie them with Birds of Prey? They could, yeah. I suppose that's another opportunity with it being in the universe is you could tie, you know, you could have a little cameo from Black Canary or Huntress in there and they could become the Birds of Prey. Rene Montoya could be a bit of a mentor to a younger version of Babs. I'd like to see that. That'd be good. Hmm. Could tie the world together quite nicely. And it feels like there's maybe a closer grip on Gotham than there is on the rest of the DC universe on film, perhaps at this point. Yeah, that doesn't bother me. They're my favourite yeah. characters. So, Watch out for Flashpoint. Watch out for Flashpoint. Next up this week is the news that the BBC has confirmed both star Jodie Whittaker and executive producer and writer Chris Chibnall will be exiting Doctor Who in 2022. There'll be a new series, which is series 13, which will start airing later this year. That is airing only, I believe, eight episodes. They've made a really short season because of COVID. So instead of being eight sort of individual stories, it's like one long adventure over eight episodes. And then there will be, I think it's three specials next year. So a New Year's Day special, one later in the spring, and then one in the autumn to coincide with the BBC's centenary. I think that's the anniversary next year. And that episode which is confirmed to be feature length, will uh, be Jodie Whittaker's last episode and she will regenerate into the next incarnation of the Doctor and that will also be the end of Chris Chibnall's time as executive producer. What do you think about this piece of news? Um, I don't know. I'm feeling a bit sort of... Who? Lethargy? Yeah. Malaise. Who malaise? Who malaise? Who malaise, yeah. Yeah. Well, we haven't finished the last series, have we? No... I I hate to sound like I'm one of those people that says, oh, Doctor Who's gone really woke, because that's not my issue with it. I don't have an issue with Doctor Who tackling social commentary, because I feel like Doctor Who has always done that. Just maybe, at the moment, it's a little bit more club you over the head with it. Um, oh, and- see, I've had about who Humalee since Picaldi. Picaldi? Capaldi. Capaldi. I went to see Peter, then I got Capaldi at the same Pacapaldi. time. So I got Pacaldi. Uh, no, I would agree with you. I, I've had issues since Matt Smith, so oh. it's been a long set of malaise for me. I, that's I, chronic. That's chronic that's malaise. That's chronic malaise. I, I don't dislike Matt Smith, but I just felt like some of the storytelling during his years was a little bit forgettable. And then I thought Capaldi was an improvement, actually. Uh, like you, not a massive fan of um, 
Clara. Couldn't remember her name for a second there. Uh, but I don't mind some of that. And there's some great... Like, the end of Matt Smith when he regenerates was a great end. I don't really remember much of what happened with Capaldi other than him being a bit grumpy. But I liked him. And then Jodie Whittaker. I think she's a really good Doctor. But I just don't feel like they've given her very interesting stories. Yeah. There's been good moments... Like uh, the Rosa Parks episode was excellent, and some of the some of the individual stories that she's had have been really really good, but overall I just feel like it's really dull at the moment. I don't know what it is. It's lost something. It's lost some of the magic. Can you believe this is so? This se- uh, season that's starting this year is the thirteenth of new Doctor Who. God. So thirteen series since Christopher Eccleston. Wow. I don't know how many series there were before it had its rest. Before it then came back. 13 regenerations. Of someone that's only supposed to have... 13. <laughs> 12. Dear. Anyway, yeah. I mean, I think probably specials may be the way to go. We've got a really succinct storyline. It worked really well for Torchwood with Children of the Air. Yeah. Less one. said about Torchwood the better at this point. Oh, yeah. Don't want a little present on your shoulder. Um, yeah, maybe a special... A couple of specials is better instead of rolling out the same. All oh, the Sandmen are back again. Oh, look, there's a Dalek again. I suppose it begs the question of how long do we think Doctor Who can last again before it needs a long rest? Because clearly the long rest did wonders for it last time. I think it was a similar position where it had been on for a long, long time. It had gone from black and white through to the 80s, 90s, whenever it was. And ratings had dipped and people were less interested and it went away and they brought it back and they brought it back really well. So maybe do it again. End it for a while. Take it off the air. Do other things with it. Don't make a movie. I don't feel like Doctor Who would make a good movie somehow. They've already done that, haven't they? But are they real movies, though? They weren't, were they? Well, you've got the... McGann movie? Oh, that was a TV movie. What, a movie? Yeah. What well, technically, that was an American pilot. Were you thinking about the other movies, the Attack of the Daleks? Yeah, yeah they weren't in continuity. That was a story about a Doctor Who, but he was never really a Doctor. Yeah, because it was made by other people during the days when licensing was less important. So I don't know. We don't. There's no news at the moment as to whether they're even casting for the next one. Uh, the Jodie Whittaker did mention in the statement, confirming that she was leaving, that she's about to film her final scenes. So. I don't know. They could, in theory, just film her doing her part of the regeneration and slot someone else in later. The interesting question, I suppose, is if they haven't, and they might have lined up the next executive producer behind the scenes and just not announced it, but if there isn't a next executive producer lined up, do you allow the outgoing guy to cast the person that the next person takes on? Or do you kind of end their bit and allow the next person to take over the job, decide who they want, and then slot the two together? I would hate to think that the BBC would have already decided who the next Doctor is before deciding who's taking over writing for that person. You never know. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see. So we've got eight episodes and three specials left until Whittaker hangs up her sonic screwdriver and exits the TARDIS. But let's see what could be exciting times ahead, could unfortunately be a further degradation of the franchise for now, but we'll have to wait and see. DC Comics has announced some very cool news for fans of the Harley Quinn animated series. If, like us, you are eagerly anticipating the third season, which is currently in production, and can't wait for new episodes to return to HBO Max, which will probably be next year, then you may want to head out to a comic book shop near you and pick up Harley Quinn, semicolon, the animated series, hyphen, the eat, full stop, bang, 
exclamation mark, kill, full stop, tour. I didn't. Oh, is that real? You just made that up? The full title is just Harley Quinn, the animated series, the Eat, Bang, Kill Tour. Oh. But it's got quite a lot of punctuation in it. Uh, which is a brand new digital first comic book, which comes from writer Tree Franklin and artist Max Sarin. It's going to pick up exactly right where the last season left off, with Harley and Ivy tearing down the highway, driving off into the sunset in each other's arms, possibly to a violent death, but you know, anything could happen in the world of this series. It will be launching exclusively on DC Universe Infinite in the next week. But then if you are not a subscriber or DC Universe Infinite is not available in your country, you can pick up Harley Quinn, the animated series, the Eat, Bang, Kill tour, number one at digital retailers on September the 1st or in print at your local comic book shop from September the 14th. DC has released a seven-page preview, which you can check out by going over to our website, which is www.getyourcomicon.co.uk. And I think you will be thoroughly excited if you are a fan of the Harley Quinn animated series because it looks cool. It's a story about Harley and Ivy together. It's everything that you could possibly want as a fan of the show. We'll be bringing you a full review of the issue when it's available, so watch out for a little bit more news about this in the future, but just wanted to make sure that you are all in the know that more Harley Quinn is coming. Well, actually, more Harley Quinn is coming in just a second as well, because we're going to talk about the Suicide Squad. Welcome to Hell, aka Bell Rev, the prison with the highest mortality rate in the US of A where the worst supervillains are kept and where they will do anything to get out, even join the super-secret, super-shady Task Force X. Today's do-or-die assignment? Assemble a collection of cons including Bloodsport, Peacemaker, Captain Boomerang, Ratcatcher 2, Savant, King Shark, Blackguard, Javelin, and everyone's favourite psycho Harley Quinn. Then arm them heavily and drop them, literally, onto the remote, enemy-infused island of Corto Maltese. Tracking through a jungle, teaming with militant adversaries and guerrilla forces at every turn, the squad is on a search-and-destroy mission with only Colonel Rick Flagg on the ground to make them behave, and Amanda Waller's government techies in their ears, tracking their every movement. And as always, one wrong move and they're dead, whether at the hands of their opponents, a teammate or Waller herself. If anyone's laying down bets, the smart money is against them. Pretty much all of them, actually. So it's time to talk to the Suicide Squad. Let's do a cast list, shall we, just to see if I can make it all the way through. And also to see how random IMDB puts them in terms of order. We have Michael Rooker as Savant, Viola Davis as Amanda Waller, John Ostrander, the creator of the Suicide Squad, as Dr. Fitzgibbon, Joel Kinnaman as Colonel Rick Flagg, Nathan Fillion as TDK, Jai Courtney as Captain Boomerang, Flula Borg as Javelin, Mei-Ling Ng as Mongal, Pete Davidson as Blackguard, Sean Gunn as Weasel slash Calendar Man, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, Stephen Blackheart as Briscoe, Steve Aji as the Onset King Shark, Tinashi Kajesi as Flo Crawley, Jennifer Holland as Amelia Harcourt, Fernando Martinez as Sliced Dome Soldado. That'll be Soldier with Head Cut Off. Um. Idris Elba as Bloodsport, John Cena as Peacemaker, Daniela Melchor as Ratcatcher 2, D. Bradley Baker as Sebastian. Oh, that'll be the rat. Uh, Sebastian the rat himself was played by a rat called Jaws. You've got Crisp Rat as Sebastian Rat. Uh, Crisp Pratt? That's an odd one. Crisp Rat as Sebastian Rat. That w- He doesn't speak, it just sort of chirps. Yeah. Was that the voice of Crisp Pratt then? 
But mm-hmm. then why D. Bradley Baker as well? That's confusing. Uh, David Dasmalchian as Polka Dot Man. Sylvester Stallone as the voice of King Shark. Storm Reed as Tyler. Jared Leyland Gore as Double Down. Ray Hernandez as Teniente. Uh, Ray Benitez as Coronel. Alice Braga as Sol Soraya. Rinaldo Fabrell as Large Gorilla. Jonathan Frischi as Delicious Hot Dog Gorilla. Peter Capaldi as The Thinker. Juan Diego Boto as General Silvio Luna. Joaquim Cusio as Mayor General Mateo Suarez. And I think... Oh, Lynn Ash as Polka Dot Man's mum is an important one. Julio Cesar Ruiz as Milton. And I think that's quite enough of the cast list. I think we've covered everyone. Who is Milton? I mean, I feel like I would remember if there was a guy called Milton on the team. I remember Milton. Oh, Milton! That guy! The bus driver! Milton! Milton. Okay, so... uh, Suicide Squad, we've probably talked about this quite a few times on the podcast, so I won't talk too much about how you were feeling going in. You finally saw this film yesterday as we were recording this, Mm. and that was my third viewing. I have now seen this film three times, twice in the last 24 hours, and then the press screen a couple of weeks ago before the press conference. So, what did you think of The Suicide Squad? I thought it was very good. Just for anyone listening that keeps up with this podcast, Martin did not just say it's all right. He said it was very good. So where would this rank in terms of your sort of Man of Steel through to the through to now modern DC movies? So I think it's probably up there. Okay. Is it the number one? It might. Well, I don't know. It might be. Do you see it again? I might need to see it again. It's very close to number one, though. That's very impressive. Very close. I'm not sure how it fits in with with Bop as well. Of course, yeah. You were a big fan of Birds of Prey. I did like a bit of Bop. But then yep. I was a lot of Ewan McGregor and his tiny heads. Yes. <laughs> Ew. Um, yeah, so it was up there. Wow. Much better than the first one. Much better than the first one. No offence to David Ayer or the first one, because there is still plenty of discourse in the press about the first film and problems making the first film and his opinion on the first film and lots of nice words between Gunn and David Ayer but yes this is this is the Suicide Squad I wish I'd had in 2016 2017 sorry Uh, my verdict on this film which uh, was shared on Twitter by James Gunn no less was uh, James Gunn has crafted nothing short of a DC Comics masterpiece with the Suicide Squad unapologetically brutal outstandingly funny and thanks to some bold story choices surprisingly gut-wrenching so yeah I loved it I I thought it was brilliant I loved every second of it the first time I watched it Uh, that was on a relatively small-ish big screen, if that makes sense. And then the last two times I've seen it were in IMAX, and it's flipping stunning in IMAX. It's such a beautiful film to look at. Now, we could be here for days talking about characters, so let's just pick favourites. Favourite characters? I'll allow you two. Oh, two. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Um, I'm going to say two. Two characters that were my faves. Uh, Harley Quinn. Yep. And... Flulabog, just because of his accent. It's nice that for the time that he's in this film, yeah, he is able to uh, make the accent part of the character, and that they kind of focused on that and made it a, a little in joke. And the magical javelin. 
the magical javelin. Yeah. So I would say Harley Quinn. Uh, there is a cat purring into the microphone as I'm doing this. Uh, so yeah, Harley Quinn, definitely a favourite. I think Margot Robbie was has been brilliant in all three of her appearances as Harley Quinn. Interesting that she's been directed by three different directors as well. She's never been directed by the same person twice. I feel like this is her best Harley Quinn so far. I think Birds of Prey Harley Quinn is is a brilliant Harley. I think this is an outstanding Harley. I think she's amazing in this. And allowing her into a, what is R-rated in America, 15-rated here uh, film, really, like, that felt like pure Harley Quinn. Way more than even the cartoons or anything I've ever been able to show before. That was, that was, that was some Harley Quinn. I'll give you that. And Peacemaker. I think Peacemaker is excellent. He's so funny and also brutal at the same time. This whole idea of liberty as an excuse to do absolutely anything in order to (laughs) try and create freedom and peace through killing as many people as possible. He's a, a walking contradiction, but John Cena is not somebody who I think people often will think about for his acting ability, but his ability to star in an action movie is fine because, you know, built like a brick shithouse. But I think he's perfectly... His acting capabilities are perfect for this role the way that James Gunn has written it. So he just... He's outstanding in this film. He's a big man. I think they'll probably be the best acting reviews of his acting career. So I said in my review that I felt like James Gunn's script perfectly balanced out all of the sort of 19 Suicide Squad members across the film. And that even those who aren't maybe in it for a lengthy period of time still have some sort of moment that is theirs, that they own, meaning that you don't feel like anybody's glossed over at all. Would you agree with that? Do you think it was well balanced? I think it was, yeah. I mean, I did worry at the start, thinking, oh God, where's this going to go? We're spending a long time on Team One. Yep. And then you're like, oh, clever man. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> clever girl. Was there anyone that you would have liked to have seen more of? Do you know what I'd like to have seen a little bit more of maybe some of the Team One or Team Air? Is that what we say? We'll call it Team Air. Well, there's only Boomerang. Yeah, and I suppose he sort of... The only characters that carry over from the first film are obviously Amanda Waller, Rick Flagg, Harley Quinn and uh, Boomer. I would have liked to send just a little bit more of a nod to the first film, just to tie them in. There is a nice nod between Harley and Rick. Yep. Because they've got that... There's a bond. There's a bond and a, a connection. And there's some in some ways, it makes you think that there's been other missions in between as well. Oh, definitely. It feels like there's been other missions in between. So I quite like that. So I would have liked a little bit more of that. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. I would have liked... Maybe a little bit more Boomer, because I think he's funny. And I was interested in the character of Mongal. I felt like there could have been some interesting stuff with her, given what we saw of her here. Uh, Weasel is another one. I would like to see more of Weasel. Oh, no, I don't want to see more Weasel. No? No. Was he creepy? Yeah, I don't like it. Was it the eyes or the... Everything. (laughs) I didn't like it. That's my Weasel impression. It's very good. He's brilliant. I sincerely hope that he is now the king of the Corto Maltese. The Corto Maltese. Corto Maltese. Yeah, no, I didn't like it. I, as a Batman 89 fan, just squee every time they say Corto Maltese. (laughs) Just because Tim Burton invented it in that film. And it's become such a thing now. It's unbelievable. I mean, we've now been there. We've spent a whole two hours and 12 minutes there. 
We have. <laughs> we understand its political rulings and everything. And it was all just a throwaway for somewhere to, for Vicky Vale to have gone and done her photography. Now, interesting, I was I only thought about this during yesterday's sort of third viewing, but when the thinker talks about Project Starfish uh, and the fact that he's he's been there working on Project Starfish for 30 years, it's like, oh, so Batman 89 was uh, 89, 99, 2009. That was over 30 years ago. 32 years ago. Yes, obviously, because it would be the same age as you. So he arrived after Vicky Vale had been there. So that's interesting. So I kind of wonder what happened. I'd like to know more about the what was happening in Corto Maltese before then, that clearly things sort of got better but didn't and have been ruled by the Herrera family and now not, as it were. Well, she was uh, taking pictures of the genocide, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. So. so they've gone from genocide to a ruling family to political uh, coup. Yeah. Okay. So thinking about connections to the first film then. What do you think about this version of Amanda Waller and Rick Flagg? Because they are obviously different than they were. What I say different. They're portrayed slightly differently here, mainly because of the tone of the film, but also given more of a chance to sort of enjoy their characters. How did you find the two of them this time around? So I enjoyed Amanda Waller. Yep. I enjoyed that she well essentially the same character because she's still ruthless and horrible. I felt like she was more Amanda Waller to me this time around. But she was a bit more maniacal. Yeah. And I think the team around her were brilliant. Showed that off. It was quite hilarious. What about Flag? I don't mind Flag. I didn't. I don't know what it is. I sort of. I liked him a little bit. No, I didn't like him less. What am I saying? He felt a bit more human in this film. Like Mm -hmm. this wasn't the second mission. Yeah. This, there's been subsequent missions and now he's just a bit he's warm to the idea and he's in the groove of it all. Also clearly has his own ideas about what Waller's doing and what he believes and doesn't believe in, which is interesting. Yeah. Not just the, the soldier following orders. Yeah. Yeah. I think that Viola Davis is amazing. I mean, she's won plenty of awards for her acting ability, so you know she's got it in her and I feel like she, she, the volume is quite high on her in this film. There's a lot of shouting, uh, a lot of expletives as well. But it was nice to see her be maniacal and really evil and very angry, but also quite funny at the same time. So stuff like her explaining who um, Robert Dubois is to Amelia Harcourt and the, the rest of her cronies, and then explaining to... Uh, Dubois, who's Bloodsport by the way um, who Peacemaker is and using the exact same description having just said that everyone had been picked for their individual skills and the fact that that becomes a joke I think is really funny and then uh, Joel Kinnaman who plays Rick Flagg talked about the fact that this is basically the first comedy he's ever made so he Gunn had to really help him understand how to not just be the tough guy and try to be funny and I think he, I, I felt like you could feel him being a little bit awkward about comedy but I kind of liked that at the same time I don't want to spoil this film too much just because it's only been in the cinemas for a couple of days, so that's why we're not really touching on on deaths and stuff like that. Uh, What about character story arcs? I feel like there was quite a good arc for for a lot of the the characters that see it through to the end. And there's also quite a lot of of depth that I hadn't expected. Hmm. 
So with Harley, you get some insight into what's going on in her in her mind, particularly when it comes to the uh, partners that she chooses. And it's quite an emotional scene for her where she kind of, she's actually, she is crying. And I thought that was, that was an interesting moment for Harley. Ratcatcher 2, there's a quite a bit of backstory to her, which I think is really interesting. And there's some for, for Bloodsport as well. I'm, I'm less interested in the Bloodsport story. I think the scene between him and his daughter at the beginning is quite funny, where where you find out kind of how he's been manipulated to join the Suicide Squad. But it's still interesting how much is there. And then you've obviously got Polka Dot Man and the joke around his mum, which still has some depth to it as well. To Tell me tell me what you thought of some of that depth to the film. Um, it, uh, it was all right. I enjoyed it. Did it make you... Well, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, did it make you feel more for the characters, even though they're horrible people, because you understood a bit more about why they had ended up the way they were? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I always felt it, it was a nice continuation of the Harley story. So obviously in Bop, she yep. became a single lady. Emancipated. She became emancipated. And no mention of Joker here. She doesn't say Mr. J. She doesn't say Joker. His name is nowhere near this film. She doesn't need him. Um, and then in this one, she's sort of realising that, you know, she makes bad choices and she needs to rectify them and the only way that she can do that mm, yes uh so wh- what about polka dot man and the and the mum joke i wondered whether you would find that hilarious or not i did i thought it was funny i thought it was a bit random but i quite like that it fits in with the suicide squad being a bit random anyway yes i see i think you had some of that in david ayer's suicide squad because you saw like harley wishing that she was married to the Joker and had a family with him. And you understood about Deadshot wanting to protect and provide for his daughter. So there was there was some attempt at depth there. But I felt like this made them... I almost feel like in his film, or the way it ended up, whether that was Warner Brothers editing and script changes and stuff, but in, that, in the final version of that Suicide Squad film, I felt like it was trying to make you like them even though they were villains whereas i feel like here you don't necessarily like them but you feel for them because you you just understand how they ended up becoming villains yeah so i don't i don't feel like i feel like it humanized them in a different way that didn't compromise the fact that you have to remember that these are the bad guys that's what i'm trying to say the best example, probably, and again, this isn't a massive spoiler, but is the is when Bloodsport tells you about why he has a fear of rats, and that exposes some of his history with his dad, which tells you how he got to where he is. Whereas with the first film with Deadshot, it was more of a desperately trying to protect my daughter, and I ended up in this position because that's what I was doing. So feel sorry for me because that's why I ended up doing it. I don't know. There's just, there's like a subtle difference between the two and I feel it works better in this one. Yeah, because I mean, I suppose Bloodsport wasn't asking for you to like him. He was just who he was. Yeah. And that just came out. Yeah. Don't want to spend too much longer on this one because we'll end up spoiling it too much. Um, well, not that we've given away that much. Uh, visual effects? My eyes enjoyed them. They were very pleasing. I thought it was well made. Very, very practical film. You could really feel that it was practical, couldn't you? Yes. Well, that beach, that's a real beach. It was. Yes, that's a real... That's the biggest set that Warner Brothers has ever constructed. A real beach with real waves, with a mm. helicopter and everything. It was a real starfish. <laughs> mm, not sure about that. 
Yeah. I think I don't wish to offend any Snyder fans, but I feel like there's a real difference between the huge spectacle of Justice League, which is very much green screen work, and the huge spectacle of this, which is big practical sets, stunt well, actors and stuntmen on wires performing real stunts. There's, I don't know, this film, I think I prefer this just because it feels real and yet is still a huge superhero film at the same time. Yeah, it's a definite improvement away from that sort of classic DC CGI bad guy. Yeah. Whereas, well, I mean, although there was a big CGI bad guy. Yes. Um, the fact that he's so out there that it really works because you can get away with it being a big purple starfish. But then the world that he's in feels very real. Yeah. Whereas I feel like in the in other films that DC have done recently, it's felt you can feel the green screen. I didn't I don't feel the green screen here. I feel like it's real. The stakes feel real. So stuff like when they get to to Jotunheim, which is the the name of the tower where where Project Starfish is being held, uh, and it's you know, it's no spoiler to say that that tower collapses. It's in all the trailers. And you see there's a scene of Harley, Polka Dot Man and Bloodsport all running for their lives and then jumping. I mean, that feels like a real set collapsing around real actors who are, you know, it's it's obviously augmented with some CGI, but it it just, it doesn't feel like there's somebody with like a styrofoam ball somewhere saying, this is where you're looking. You're running from a giant monster. Look here, run there, and we'll put it in later. I don't, it just... It feels real, and that makes it more exciting for me. Yeah. And do you think that the choice of the tower was on purpose? Jotunheim. Jotunheim? Well, because that's Thor, but he's not involved with Thor. No, but, I mean, he's been very vocal around his relationship with Marvel and how this is the best film he's ever made. Oh, you went there. And how, you know, he's never had the opportunity to really go there, and we've got this tower that's called Jotunheim that he then destroys, and... I didn't like really a, see like it a as Phoenix that. rising, another being comes out of it, and it's this. No, I think you're going too far now. Well, I'm just trying to be like you and look for a meaning with her, isn't it? Oh! That was harsh. Ooh, that that was... cat's got claws today. I'm kidding. Uh, I don't know. I didn't I didn't read that into it at all. I mean, he, yeah, you're right. He has been very vocal. At the press conference that I went to, he was talking about how this is one of the favourite casts he's worked with and one of the favourite films he's ever made. But. He just acknowledges the fact that what Warner Brothers gave him was the keys to the kingdom and said, make whatever film you wanted, and that he pitched a film and that's the film he made, and that with Marvel, you pitch the film you want to make, and then the committee works that into what is the PG-13 version of that. So this was... He hasn't sort of trashed Guardians of the Galaxy. It's more a case of that's making a film within the constraints of what Marvel wants, and this was making the film that I wanted for DC. And he's gone back and he's making another Guardian. So. Yep. And no news as to whether he'll make another Suicide Squad, but I would imagine, given the critical reception of this, hopefully it performs well when it's actually released in America. Bear in mind it's out here now, but it's not out in America until August the 6th, that it'll do well and that they'll want another one. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what another one might be like because there wouldn't necessarily be the same cast of characters here. Even those that survive, he may not wish to bring back for another one. It'd be interesting to see what a Suicide Squad film without Harley would be like. So that's the joy of the Suicide Squad. You can just have whoever you want. Yep. So final thoughts on this film? Uh, lovely. <laughs> okay. 
No, do you want more? Um, I just wasn't sure that lovely was a word that I would use. Well, okay. Uh, a a rip-roaring adventure. Very good. And you obviously recommend this film yes. to anybody that would wish to see it? Yes, I would recommend it all in sundry. <laughs> okay, well, The Suicide Squad is in UK cinemas now and will hit US theatres and HBO Max on August the 6th. If you want to check out my full review, you can head over to our website, www.getyourcomicon.co.uk. I also recently went live on Instagram to answer some of your questions about the film and to talk about it. If you would like to check that out, you can watch all three parts on our Instagram TV channel because it was too long to upload in one. Or you can head over to our YouTube channel where you can watch it in full. It's only about 35 minutes long. Uh, but it was a it was a nice time just chatting with some of our listeners about The Suicide Squad. So that leads us on to Disney's Jungle Cruise, which is also now in cinemas, both in the UK and the US. I keep getting confused and thinking, how is this going to go up against Suicide Squad in the US this weekend? But Suicide Squad is not. This film stars Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Emily Blunt, Jack Whitehall and Jesse Plemons. It's based on the Jungle Cruise ride from Disney World. The synopsis is, inspired by the famous Disneyland theme park ride, Disney's Jungle Cruise is an adventure-filled, rollicking thrill ride down the Amazon with wise-cracking skipper Frank Wolf and intrepid researcher Dr. Lily Houghton. Lily travels from London, England, to the Amazon jungle and enlists Frank's questionable services to guide her downriver on L'Aquila, his ramshackle but charming boat. Thrust on an epic adventure together, the unlikely duo encounters innumerable dangers and supernatural forces all lurking in the deceptive beauty of the lush rainforest. But as the secrets of the lost tree unfold, the stakes reach even higher for Lily and Frank and their fate and mankind's hang in the balance. I think uh, that's a little unfair because Jack Whitehall's quite heavily involved in that storyline, but it makes it sound like it's just the two of them. Mm. My verdict on Jungle Cruise uh, on my review, which you can check out over on the website, is Jungle Cruise is a ton of fun, a proper family-friendly action-adventure ripped from the heyday of Indiana Jones. Blunt and Johnson are the perfect charismatic leads, whilst Jack Whitehall is an absolute scene-stealer. What were your thoughts on this film? It was alright. It was surprisingly exciting, I thought. I went into this expecting a kind of carbon copy of Pirates of the Caribbean, because it felt like this was being made to fill the gap left by Pirates of the Caribbean, which is very much in limbo at the moment. And actually, whilst it is the same kind of premise in terms of taking a ride and turning it into a film, I didn't feel like it was a carbon copy. It felt like a really good, fun, original, real classic family adventure movie. I felt like it had more in common with The Mummy than anything else. Yeah, it's more like a, a mashup of The Mummy and The Pirates together. If The Mummy and The Pirates had a baby, it would be a jungle cruise. Yes, yeah. What were your thoughts on this film? I mean, I thought it was good. It was just a nice Sunday afternoon family frolicking down the jungle cruise river Disney film. Maybe that's why the premiere was on a Sunday. Oh, maybe. Maybe that's why they premiere family movies on Sundays, because Sundays are a family movie kind of day. So they're like, hey, come watch this movie on a Sunday. It's the perfect time. I never thought of that. A huge thank you to Disney for inviting us to see it. It was uh, the first time I've been invited to a... Uh, well, obviously, we went to The Lion King, but I, I won tickets to that one. Uh, so this was the first time we've been invited to a, a Disney press screening, and there was a there was a carpet. I was papped. We had goodie bags with hats and sweets and cake pops and juice boxes and colouring in and everything. Thank God for the hats, is all I can say. Well, thank God for the hats, but we'll get to that in a minute. 
Uh, anything that you were unsure of about this film? Um, I don't think so. I think there was. Was there? I think there was a thing that you disagreed with me on afterwards. Oh, I disagree with you most things. I'm very disagreeable. Would it be casting? Not massively casting, just more of a storyline that I just felt didn't really fit. Or, well, did it fit? It did kind of fit, but then it didn't really fit. It was just a bit awkward. Okay, so we're going to delve slightly into spoiler territory to talk about this, because I do think it's quite an important point within the film. So this is a scene which takes place between Jack Whitehall's character, McGregor, and uh, The Rock's character, Skipper. And they are... They're not on the boat, are they? They're sitting just on the shore, uh, basically having a beer. can't remember where Emily Blunt's character is. I don't know where Lily is at this point. She's elsewhere. And uh, Frank asks McGregor why he basically follows his sister around the world on these crazy adventures. And it leads to McGregor explaining to him that he's kind of been ostracized by society due to the the person with whom he fell in love with. And it's it's without saying the exact words, it's basically it's a coming out scene. And there has been some discussion on social media about the fact that Jack Whitehall is not a openly gay man. I believe he has a girlfriend, so I presume he isn't. But, you know, that's that's his personal choice. And that there is an argument for gay actors for gay roles. And also, why put this into this film at this point? It might be important to just point out separately to this that this actually is the first openly gay character in one of Disney's live action films so there is the character they added to Beauty and the Beast who is Gaston's best friend he is alluded to and has been discussed as being a gay character but it's never referenced in the film other than a like slight nod in joke whereas this is a live action character in a Disney live action movie openly accepting homosexuality so that's quite a big deal so then becomes the discourse of okay should it have been a gay actor how does this reflect on McGregor earlier in the film when he is for want of a better term quite prissy he arrives with millions of suitcases where Lily has one bag he talks about the fact that he has lots of clothes he's got everything he needs with him counterbalanced with the fact that later in the film in the third act during kind of the big fights he is very important he could throw a major punch and he does help to save the day so it's quite a mixed bag but you overall felt that it was a little bit awkward i just like said it's just very mixed isn't it because then you sort of he starts off very stereotypical and you think oh that if that's the line they're going to go down you're only portraying one view of the world and then like you said in some scenes then he's a fighter then he's not then it's all just a bit messy and a bit sad, really, that if this is the first time that they're going to acknowledge a, an LGBTQ character in a live-action Disney movie, they could have done a better job of it. That seems like quite a, a quite a strong, damning statement there, because um, it was a very... It doesn't take away from the emotion of the scene between him and... It's one of the most emotional scenes in the whole film. It's It's got quite a gut punch to it. It's very, it's very sad, and... Uh, for for Jack Whitehall, who I don't think of as an actor, I think of as a comedian, I, I felt he played it incredibly well. Yeah, definitely. I just think it's a shame that everything that went before and after it didn't really fit with that scene. It would be interesting to see how he would then be portrayed in a sequel, because he he is clearly... I think the way that they, they had set him up early in the film was that 
it, I mean, it, it's set in a period of time where you know there is a running joke that Lily Emily Blunt's character wears trousers because women would not wear trousers, and that is that scene is obscene, and people stare at her and think, you know, my God, what is wrong with this person because of it? So I think it was in early in the film, it's very much trying to upend the gender roles and so she is the strong one she is the intelligent one she is the one who who sets out on the adventure she is the one who understands what's going on who's pieced everything together she is the clever one and he is very much almost like the mouthpiece so there is a a scientific society within london who uh, they have been appealing to for money to go on the expedition to try and find the tree of life but she isn't even allowed on the ground floor of this of the presentation hall because she's seen as a woman and she's simply a secretary, so she should be on the secretary's floor. So she has to, although she is the one that writes the paper and does the scientific research, he is the one that has to present it. And it presents him as somebody who doesn't really understand and just bumbles his way through by being... It's just trying... I think what it was trying to do was put more importance on the female character and portray a strong female character as being stronger than the man... But given that he is then an LGBTQ character, it makes him come off as slightly weakened and less. They didn't pitch him right in the beginning. I felt like they pitched him right at the end. That's, but, en- that's enough of the heavy talk. At the end of the day, it's a Disney film. Yes. The, the, to the, there is, there's, a, there's a lot to unpack in that. But then outside of that, this is a rollicking good adventure film. I think the CGI is is mostly great. It goes a little bit wonky towards the end when they they reach the tree of life, just because it becomes the the third act huge CGI. I don't want to say mess, but it's it you know it becomes predominantly CGI. But I I find very little not to enjoy in this film. Yeah, I mean it's a, it follows the Disney formula, doesn't it? The Rock is great. Emily Blunt is great. Jack Whitehall is great. Jesse Plemons is a brilliant villain. So again, it's this is set during World War One. He plays a a German um, general. Was he a general? Oh, he's a prince, isn't he? Uh, yeah, he's evil German, yeah. and he's German. Uh, he but Jesse Plemons does such brilliant work with the German accent that he makes it absolutely hilarious. And ever since we've seen that film, there's been a lot of talk of, do you want to go to the jungle? It's awful. That was awful. But you, can you do it any better? No, I'm not going to attempt to do it. Better. Oh, uh, you have to do Mrs. Doubtfire. People asked. Oh, I know, but you, don't, you can't just do that. I'm not. You've got to. That's gonna, you've got to. It's that's got to come in naturally in some way. Well, sometime between now and the end of this podcast, you have to because people asked. Uh, yes. Uh, another thing that is worth noting in this film is absolutely brilliant score. Similar to the work that was done on Pirates of the Caribbean, there was some really great score work in in Jungle Cruise. So the, the soundtrack album is from James Newton Howard, but some of the major themes in the film also feature samples from Metallica's Nothing Else Matters. It even opens with the with the guitar from Nothing Else Matters, which was really unexpected and weird, but perfectly placed at the same time. Hmm. Not a lot else to say about this one, really. I think uh, I highly recommend it. I do think they're, you know, think about some of the themes that are in there and, and how they resonate with you but on the whole an amazing family film which is perfect for for kids and adults so much fun agreed so jungle cruise is in cinemas now globally and is also available on disney plus via the premiere access platform so that's an additional fee of i think it's 20 pounds or 30 dollars in the u.s to be able to watch at home 
So just to give you some context on why the hats that we got given at the Jungle Cruise premiere were so important, we had already planned that day to uh, spend some time with Nicola and Chris from We Have a Hulk to celebrate my birthday, which was the, the following day. So we saw this film on the Sunday, my birthday was the Monday, and before we knew anything about Jungle Cruise even being screened, we had booked to go uh, on a boat round the canals at Paddington in London, which would go round uh, the London Zoo and a few of those areas. So it's a, it's a self-powered boat electric motor yada 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 so we get out of the jungle cruise premiere uh, do what we always do when we're with the hulks which is go for nando's obviously and then when we got out of there the is what's well, probably the best way to say it, is the heavens opened yeah some sort of like tropical thunder it was, yeah. rainstorm. uh it was so stormy that the first flash of lightning hadn't even finished when the rumble of thunder shook the street uh, and it was it was raining so badly that parts of central london flooded and it happened so quickly that we actually phoned the boating people to check whether it was even still safe to go on the boat. But it was, and we did. Uh, it was a slightly shorter route than normal because a bridge was leaking with sewage. Yeah, but that happened before the rain, so we should have had it for three hours. Um, but apparently uh, the, the bridge and the poo and all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> so we only had it for an hour, which thank God we only had it for an hour. Because yes, it got... rained so heavily that there was about two inches of water in the boat by the time we got back and had finished it but it was so much fun but (laughs) there are photos in existence of us in our jungle cruise hats and ponchos and umbrellas trying desperately not to get wet when actually we were just completely soaked to the bone yeah but it was good fun though it was really good fun so if you are in london and looking for a fun activity uh, go boat go boat Yeah. yeah go find go boat it's a really fun way to spend a bit of time on uh the thames yeah and it doesn't matter if it's raining because you know it gives a lot of fun So that just leaves me with two things to wrap up before we finish the show this week. First up, I just want to tell you about the third part of Netflix's Transformers War for Cybertron trilogy. So this is the part which is dubbed Kingdom. It's the third and final part and runs for six 25-minute episodes. So the whole War for Cybertron trilogy must... uh, I think it's six parts uh, in each, so it must be 18 episodes overall. This is uh, the the wrap-up of the war. The Transformers have arrived on Earth searching for the AllSpark... It's got so much Transformers lore in it. It's perfect for deep cut Transformers fans. You've got Autobots, you've got Decepticons, you've got Maximals, you've got Predacons. There's a bit of time travel in here. You've got... I don't want to spoil too much, actually. I don't want to... How much more can I say before I've completely ruined the whole story? Whilst I think that Earthrise is probably... Which is the, the second part, is the best of the three. Kingdom really does stand out because it has so much more complex storytelling to it there are elements of time travel there's so much going on but as with the first two parts the cgi kind of cell shaded animation is excellent it's got such amazing score as well which comes from composer alexander bornstein it's quite a sight to behold if you're a fan of the classic transformers uh series it's a major step up in terms of storytelling but it's it's kind of a mix between the spectacle of the the Michael Bay movies and the storytelling that you would expect of something which is much more close to the source material. So it's the best of both worlds, really, for Transformers fans. James reviewed this one for us over on our website, so if you head over there, you can check out his review of, of Part 3. And he picked up on the fact that, in terms of storytelling aspects, you've got the AllSpark, the Matrix of Leadership, the Beast Wars, Nemesis Prime, Galvatron, and Unicron, which are all in here. So it, it covers all corners of the Transformers universe, which really makes it pretty compelling viewing if you're a fan. 
I won't say too much more because it's really difficult to talk about this as the final part without spoiling it. But if you head over to Netflix, you can watch all 18 episodes of The War for Cybertron trilogy. Kingdom is the third part. Uh, If you haven't seen the first two parts and for some reason you just want to dive in on this third one, James has also done a really good piece that'll catch you up on the story. Or if you just need a refresher, it's well worth checking out again over on our website. That about wraps things up for this episode, but that leaves me with time for a competition. (gasps) Competition. This one is for the Suicide Squad fans. If you would like to win a Funko Pop of Harley Quinn in her ball gown, carrying her javelin from Suicide Squad. Oh, sorry, the Suicide Squad. And also Peacemaker in his classic uniform. Then all you need to do is follow us on Twitter, which is at GetYourComicCon, and retweet the competition tweet, which I will put alongside uh, the release of this podcast, using the hashtag, which is hashtag GeikoSquad. That's hashtag G-Y-C-O Squad. We'll announce the winner in a couple of weeks' time. Just the one prize, and it is for UK entrance only, but you will win both Harley Quinn and Peacemaker from the Suicide Squad. Now, I feel bad because we were away for an extra week, so we might have to do something like next week just to make up for it to get us back into our normal schedule, but I'll figure that out later. There's lots coming up at the moment. I am now in the middle of a film festival. I'm at the Fantasia Festival right now. I have lots of films to watch. I think my list is 33. I was going to sit a little late. You're in the middle of it right now. You're sitting down. And I've also just been accredited for the Toronto International Film Festival. Thank you very much. Very, very exciting news. That's not until September, but there's plenty to come from that. I should be watching loads more movies from there as well. Next week, I'm going to a screening of Free Guy starring Ryan Reynolds. I'm not sure what the embargo is yet, but I'm really excited to see that. That should have been out last year and is one of the very pandemic delayed films, but looks like it's going to be so much fun. Unfortunately, you're not able to come to that one with me. No. So... That'll be a review by myself, I'm afraid. That's a bit anticlimactic and sad, isn't it? Um, think of something happy to end this with? Um, it's sunny. That'll do me. So until next time, bye! bye.